0: Good morning church. Happy Mother's Day. Okay, so I did this like before service during transitions. I have a habit on Mother's Day every year to do this. Has anybody been told happy Mother's Day by mail and you've been like happy Mother's Day to you too? Has anybody done that? I've already done that and every year I'm like I'm not gonna do it and it just flows right out of my mouth. So anyway, but happy Mother's Day to all of you mothers. Um, Also, my husband was so sweet just a little bit ago. And I and I was actually praying this morning. I was like, Lord, thank you so much for a husband. You know what? We're great mothers in this house, even though we fail, we're trying, we love our children, we pray for our children. But let's thank the Lord for husbands or men in our life who actually help us um, do what we do. And culture nowadays, I feel like sometimes they don't get enough credit for the the weight that they do pull, and so we are super grateful for you. I'd like to say Happy Mother's Day to my mother, although I don't know if she's in here, the service she was inside. there she is back there. So Happy Mother's Day, Mom. But we do love you here, and I'm glad that you're here at New Hope. Um, I did feel a little bad a little bit ago when Reagan got up and said all the sweet things. He did this in service, and I know for a fact that he picks on me from up here all the time. Like, I I will be, like, in um, a a class, teaching a class, first service, or sometimes I'll be having a meeting in second service, and I hear all the time something he has said not to say to me that he says from up here. And so, uh, anyway, I got tickled this morning because I wanted to tell a story, and I thought this will be great revenge. Not that that's godly. It's not godly, right? But I thought this will be so great. Like, so I wanted to tell the story of whenever, We got married in 2000, about um, two, three months into getting married. We were shocked and excited to find out we were expecting our first child. Our, our little one, our oldest one was here today on the platform singing such a blessing. But um, we were surprised and shocked. But a few months later was Mother's Day after we found out. And I hadn't had her yet, but I was pregnant. And I think it was my mom or his mom, one of the moms. They were like, what are you doing for joy for Mother's Day? And honestly, I hadn't even expected anything It didn't even occur to me, but when the question was asked and he responded, she ain't my mama, Suddenly, I was like, "What?" And then my feelings were hurt, and I had this overwhelming emotion—probably pregnancy hormones—and I started to cry. And I only tell you this because I want you to know that you can learn from our failure. You can learn. In fact, um, I remember when Kel and Cece found out they were expecting, and that I think—I think that Stefan was actually a toddler. I remember on Mother's Day, I'm like, "So, what are you doing for Cece, Kel?" And he went—he got that look that I recognized from Reagan, and we were like, "No." no, no, don't do it, you know. And so we like to pass down wisdom. And it's actually fitting because today we're going to be talking about Solomon and um, the book that he wrote, Ecclesiastes. So we're going to be going through that a little bit today. And so I do believe that there's wisdom to be had. I want to open us up in prayer. So Lord, I thank you so much, God, that you are here with us. Lord, I thank you for the opportunity to gather with everyone. Lord, worship today to be in your house to be in your presence was very sweet and so God I thank you father that you dwell in the middle of your people when we worship you in spirit and in truth and I thank you Lord for that God I ask that you would inspire us Lord today by your word by your word God inspire us Lord as we live this life for you Lord, would you show us your way and help us to walk in it. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. So, years ago, Reagan and I um, actually led a ministry here at the church called The City. Does anybody remember The City? Raise your hand if you remember it. It was a young adult college career um, group. We met midweek. I can't remember it was either Wednesday or Thursday we'd meet. We had a service. It was fun. Um, And we would actually do prayer requests or we'd have panels sometimes where people would actually ask questions that were on their heart. And I wanted to share the four questions that were very common that we would get with you. Okay. So the first, thing that usually was on the mind of people was, what is God's will for my life? The second one was about loneliness or friendships. You know, and when you're in college or when you're in that transitioning phase of your life, or even when you're older, if you're in transition and you've moved from one place to another place, you know what it's like to, to be a little bit lonely, to feel isolated, and also the intimidation that, that comes with having to make new friendships and to have relationship. And so that was always a topic. Then three was overcoming sin. People were always like, I am so tired of getting tripped up in this old sin, this temptation that maybe they had even overcome, and then they stumble back into, and there's just disappointment. And they're like, how can I get over this, this this?'" the sin in my life, I'm so sick of dealing with it. I noticed that in my life it it comes up and I know that it's not only a burden to me, but it's a burden to my family and all my relationships. And so people were always always asking about overcoming sin. And then fourthly, the future. People always had, had questions that would have to do with the future. And part of that is, I believe, because the future is just so uncertain. We can plan, right, but we don't know what we're going to meet in the future. And as humans, we love to lock down and make a plan and get our eyes fixed on the things that we want to see in the future. And so we cannot bank on that. So there's this fear, this uncertainty of the future. And those were, those were all very, very common things. But what I noticed is, is that a lot of people spend a lot of time and a lot of energy. And they're praying these really great prayers and wanting God's will. They're wanting God to bring relationships into their life. And these are all really, really good. They want God to secure their future, give them hope, you know, in their future. And that's really good. And they're wanting to be delivered from sin. And that's really good But what I have noticed is oftentimes, the people who have come to me through the years and said, please help me pray for this. Many people, and what you'll see is some of those people are actually walking with the Lord, and some of those people have actually, even though they prayed those prayers, they've walked away from relationship with the Lord. But they prayed the same prayers. They were asking the same questions. They wanted, They wanted sincerely from their hearts for God to show them what to do and what it looked like. So why are some people really successful in their walk with the Lord, and why are some people not? And I would say that part of it is because so oftentimes when we're praying, God, I wanna know what your will is for my life, the question springs from a place of, God, you're awesome, and I do believe you're perfect, And so I want you to secure my life. So I know if I do your will, if I can figure this hidden mystery of your will out, what's going to happen is it's all going to be peaches and cream. And I want that feeling of knowing that there's safety, right? And so then a lot of people are praying for relationships and friendships, which is a good prayer, It's a really great prayer. We don't want to be lonely. But what often happens is we don't realize that loneliness sometimes is God-ordained. And we can despise the feeling. It's an undesirable emotion that we have when we're lonely. And so oftentimes in loneliness, we can seek out friendships And it's not so that you can be poured out, so that you can be a blessing, so you can see the unseen, but it's because you want so bad. Maybe there's a a wound from the past. I haven't felt accepted. I grew up, I had a trauma when I'm younger. I always felt like I was on the outside looking in, and I want so desperately, especially in church, I want so desperately to feel the feelings of inclusion. That's what I want. And so we pray that prayer, and that's not a bad prayer. And then also when it comes to our future, we're praying about our future, and, and we're like, God, it's uncertain. I give my, my future to you. And oftentimes it's because so much we want to know that everything's going to be good. We don't want things to be bad in our future. And so so oftentimes we're praying the right prayers. We're asking the right questions but our ambitions are on a desirable feelings versus what God is wanting to do in our life to give us a satisfying purpose and to build us into the people that he's created us to be. Amen? Yeah. And so I want to, I want to, actually look at Ecclesiastes. And this is a book that was written by Solomon, who was the wisest man. He asked God for wisdom. God gave him wisdom. He gave him so much more. Solomon was the third king of Israel. It was Saul. It was um, David, his father, and then it was him. And he had wealth beyond what you can imagine. He had 700 wives, Three hundred concubines. Uh, I mean, he was wise. I guess uh, he was, but that wasn't didn't seem very wise. I don't know, but anyway. So he had it all. I mean, he could woo the ladies. He could. He had. If he wanted something, he'd say, "Set your price," and he could give them double. He had pleasure. He was popular. Kings from all over the earth would come just to see him, just to hear what he had to say. He not only had wisdom, but he was actually incredibly smart. He was really sharp. He didn't didn't just have discernment and just this wise mind. Like, he could walk into a room and be incredibly impressive when he spoke. So people wanted to hear him speak. But Solomon had a very complicated life. He wrote three books of the Bible. The first book was Song of Song of Solomon, which if you've read Song of Solomon, it's even theologians. It's so deep. We're like, what does it mean? You know, it's very good. Then it's poetic, and then he wrote Proverbs. Proverbs is a book of wisdom. He had wisdom. But then there's Ecclesiastes, and Ecclesiastes is very different. It almost, if you read Ecclesiastes, you can almost think that he is like a bah humbug, you know? I mean, he starts off the book. It's like it's all meaningless. Everything is meaningless, right? In fact, if you look at chapter 1, it starts off. It's all meaningless. In fact, let's look at that. It says, there, it's meaningless. There's nothing new under the heavens. In fact, you're, if you read that book, you'll see him say, depending on your translation, it might say under the heavens or under the sun. So when he's talking about meaninglessness in Ecclesiastes, what he's actually talking about is under the sun. We often talk about there's two kingdoms: the kingdom of God, right, and the kingdom of this earth. So really, what he's talking about here is in the kingdom of this earth. It's just all meaningless, right? And so he begins the book that way, and he talks about this under the sun theme of what's going on here. He even says in chapter 1 that wisdom is meaningless. Now, we know that the beginning of of wisdom is to fear God, right? Right. And so that's good. But the wisdom that he's talking about at the beginning of Ecclesiastes is actually wisdom that's more practical. It's a practical wisdom. It's not wisdom, a spirit-led wisdom. It's not a discernment that's a supernatural discernment. It is practical, moral wisdom, understanding cause and effect. Well, he says that it's meaningless. In chapter 2, he talks about chasing pleasures And he talks about, again, wisdom, and he pairs it with folly, and he says it's all meaningless. And the reason that I'm bringing up and trying to highlight some of this, because I actually think that most of us have a lean in some way towards some of these things that he's talking about to find security and desirable emotions in our life. We'll chase for pleasures, you know, wealth possessions, because we're convinced, like, man, if I could just have this, if I can just do this, if I just have more vacations, sometimes that's mine, if I could just have a vacation, <laughs> or I could, I could just rest, or if, if I would feel the way that I want to feel if dot, 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 if I had, if I could experience And some of us, that's what it looks like. For some of us, we are intellectuals. I don't say we, I'm not an intellectual, but some of us are. And so for some of us, it may be if I I study enough, if I know enough, if I'm the smartest person in the room, then I will have worth. I will feel that feeling that I long to feel if I know a lot of things. I don't ever want to go into a room and not know something or not be able to to, to have something, some kind of input or something to say or understanding. And um, that's meaningless, he says. He talks about wisdom and folly. And again, I'm going back to wisdom because when he pairs it with folly, I'm very curious why he's doing that. Why is he pairing wisdom and folly? Because he does say wisdom is better than folly. And so that's good. But then he says, Folly, what is folly? Folly starts in the mouth, he says, and it looks like simple-minded, silly talk. Aimless, meaningless talk. But what he says it ends up is, is almost like an evil madness. He actually describes it like a fly in a perfume in, in, um, that's been caught in perfume and has a terrible stench is what he calls it. So why is he pairing wisdom and folly here? It's because he says that just like the animals who die and rot away, the wise will die with their wisdom and the fool will die with their folly just the same. It's all under the sun. And a lot of what we chase after are things that are not going to go with us The things we know, the things we do, the things we accomplish, those things are not going to go with us. So I want to hear more of what Solomon has to say because I know that Solomon, this is like his testimony, so to speak. In fact, they say that he wrote this book later in his life. A lot of theologians think that it was his his book of repentance because he says all these things that he's done and all, I mean, has anybody ever been to a testimony time? In a Christian place, like I, I used to go to a small church, we have testimony time. I know I bring that up a lot, but I, I liked testimony time. And so the testimony time, and you have somebody who gets up, and they will start talking about like, I was this, this, and this, and, I, and they'll go, and then at the end they're like, and God saved me, and he'll save you, or he, he delivered me, and he'll deliver you. That's essentially what is going on in Ecclesiastes. But he's trying to teach while he tells his testimony. That's kind of what's happening. And so there he says it's all meaningless, wisdom and folly. Then he talks about toil. And this could be a lean that maybe you guys have. Maybe I have had that at different seasons of my life. But if I achieve enough, if I work hard enough, I'm going to be set. Has anybody ever thought that? (laughs) You know, if I put enough effort into this, then I can be sure that I am going to have a desired result. I'm going to feel the feelings of power. I'm going to feel the the feelings of glory. And I want people to know and see what I am doing. And right here, he says it's all meaningless. So let's read chapter 3, verses 1 through 8. This is a little brighter. A time to search and a time to give up. A time to keep and a time to throw away. A time to tear and a time to mend. A time to be silent and a time to speak. A time to love and a time to hate. A time for war and a time for peace. And if you go to verse 11, it says, He has made everything beautiful in its time. I love that. He has also set eternity in the heart of in the human heart, yet no one can fathom what God has done from beginning to end. Whatever, if you look at 15, it says, whatever, he is, whatever is has already been, and whatever will be has been before, and God will call the past into account. And if you skip to 17, at the very bottom of that chapter, it says, for there will be a time for every activity, a time to judge every deed. That's sobering. But if you look at the scripture in chapter, thir- in chapter three, you'll notice, and if we can pull those back up, we've kind of darkened the ands in there because in that scripture, between the good stuff and maybe the bad stuff, if you perceive it that way, is an and. And in the end, there's a lot of tension and a lot of confusion. And if I'm going to to curate my life, if I'm going to build a life, if I'm going to make my life what I want it to be, I'm going to focus on being born, and I am not going to be looking at death. That is not a desirable emotion that that evokes in me, right? And I'm also not going to like the time to refrain from embracing. I often think of our military here in the house, and you see, you see like when, when, you know, they're deploying like the wives and the husbands are hugging and, and the sorrow that when they have to slip out of each other's arms to, to maybe get on the plane to go. That's painful. We don't want that. That's an undesirable feeling. The time to tear is not good. Sometimes time mending is not good either. But in the and right there. Life is confusing, it's unpredictable, and we will not enjoy the and oftentimes. We won't see it as an opportunity for building oftentimes. But what Solomon is telling us here is that there's going to be time for both. And he sets us off in the beginning with this all meaningless, but then we're getting to what has meaning, and this has meaning in life. And the reason that I'm kind of going here with you is there's two tensions that we wrestle with as Christians because we have these really great, great questions. What is God's will for my life? You know, what does my future look like? We have these really, really great questions, but there will always be a tension for us at every age and every season. Is it gonna be about my glory or is it gonna be about his glory? It's the truth, even in the things that you do for God. I remember years ago hearing, I think it was Matthew West, but one of the major worship leaders that you hear on the radio, and he was talking about like, I have realized that when I leave a stage, a platform, and I am thinking, oh, what kind of feedback did I get? Did they like it? He said, it's a very hollow feeling even if they all clapped and they all liked it. He said, but there's something about walking off the platform And feeling the pleasure of God and thinking, God, was that was that pleasing towards you? And oftentimes in life, what we will do is we'll do things for God, or we'll do things in our life that are good things, but they're chasing after the hollow and the temporal things. And they're not bad things. There's also the other tension of I want what I want, and I feel like I have a really clear way to get what I want. And so I'm going to go this way, which is usually a very wide road. It's a very messy road. You see what you want, and you got to figure out what you need to do to get there, to get that pleasurable, desirable emotion that you seek. But then there's also a narrow way, and that narrow way is when we seek the Lord with all of our heart. When we go to him, we find out what it is that the Lord wants, and we walk in that way. And so those are two tensions that I often see in the church. And I'm talking about these things. They're not issues. These, these four topics aren't even necessarily Christian topics except for the God's will. Oftentimes people aren't praying that prayer, right? But we do want to know what our future holds. We do want to be assured success, and all of that isn't bad. So how do we build a meaningful life? How do we make sure that our life is in check, Right? And the first thing is, is we seek and submit to Christ. This is the foundation of a life that has meaning and purpose in Christ. Because we can live under the sun life. We can live a life with wisdom. We can live a life with pleasure. We can build a life of toil and work and achievement. We can build a life of folly and just, I'm just gonna have fun in the day. I'm not gonna think of tomorrow. We can live a life like that, and it can feel good in the moment, but what I fear is we spend our days that amount to weeks, that amount to months, that amount to years, and before you know it, we have a lifetime that is incredibly hollow. And what God is calling us to is a bit deeper, a bit wider, a bit steadier, but a lot more patient work to follow him. And so the first, the first thing was sub- seek and submit to Christ salvation. We got to follow him. We want to be transformed. We don't want to stay the way we are. We want to surrender our will to his will. Number two, we want to let the Lord heal us. It is shocking to me how many Christians come to church year after year, go to Bible study year after year, and they are still walking with the hurt that Jesus died on the cross to heal them. It is surprising to me how much of the time we want to figure out how to heal it ourselves so we can get a fresh start in church. When God is calling us to himself so that he can heal us from the things that are painful, from the things that are weighing us down. And yet oftentimes we are trying to protect that thing. When my kids were little and they fall down and they skin their knee, I would try to come up and even just look at it. They wouldn't even let me look at it because they're just scared I'm going to touch it, you know. And I want to see, is it clean? What do we need to do to heal it? And they're just, they, they don't care if tomorrow they're getting infection, right? They don't care about that. They just want to protect it because it's not a desirable feeling in the moment to have their wound clean. And so oftentimes we come to church and it's like we do want that ultimate. We want the Lord to free us. We have trauma in our past, trauma from our childhood. We have painful relationships that have been broken, And we want so bad to be healed, but we don't want to do the hard work of walking out what it looks like to give that to Jesus. I'm going to do it on my own. So we need to be healed. We need to give him our shame and our guilt. I'm going to say that again. We need to give him our shame and our guilt. You know, growing up, I would always beat myself up when I'd make mistakes as a Christian. Not so much in all the other ways. I'm used to making mistakes, right? But in my relationship with the Lord, I would often beat myself up because I had this core belief inside of me that if I beat myself up enough, that I would not do that thing again. And so what would happen is I would I would offend God. I would sin. I would do something that wasn't right. And then I would walk, away, walk around with this weight. And instead of seeing opportunity and seeing people and living my life, I was walking around feeling guilty and shameful, and it was my own prison. It was nothing the Lord ever put on me. So we need to be free from guilt and shame. We need to be in a church community. We need to be in a church community. This is more than attending a church on a Sunday morning and sitting in a row once a week, guys. It can be intimidating up here because that is not church culture today. But it is incredibly important to be bought into a body, to know people, to sit next to people, to sacrifice for people in the body of Christ. It is incredibly important that we are connected and that we're accountable in the body of Christ. In fact, the word of God says, do not forsake the assembling of, your, uh, assembling of yourselves together Don't forsake it. Don't not be with the body of Christ. You are in a family, and your family not only needs you, but it wants you, whether it knows it or not, or whether it knows you or not. And we're going to get to why in just a minute. But it is important to be part of a body and to be given to that body. And it's also important to be self-aware, okay, We wanna be self-aware. I wanna know my weaknesses, I wanna know my strengths. Everybody around me knows it anyway, right? (laughs) We need to know our true self, we need to know our spiritual giftings. Then we wanna be useful is the next point. We wanna take into account our gifts, who we are, our past. In fact, I was reading an article in the last week or two about the power of purpose. I guess brain science has figured out there is power and purpose. In fact, an article said purpose is fundamental to health, healing, and happiness. Purpose activates resilience and protects your brain. Do you know that studies show people who have a sense of purpose have less chance of getting Alzheimer's even than the average person? Because Purpose is incredibly powerful. There's a quote as well that I really loved. And this is, again, science. This is not a a godly article at all. But it said, Man's main concern is not to gain pleasure or to avoid pain, but rather to see a meaning in his life. That is why man is even ready to suffer on the condition to be sure that his suffering has meaning. We can even suffer if we know that our suffering has meaning. That's why in that list in Ecclesiastes 1 through 8, that's why when the hard stuff comes, if your life is built not under the sun but for God, that is why people who are not seeking the emotion, but they're seeking the transformation, stand the test of time. That's why their house is built on the rock. So there's something, so that's science today. They, they've uncovered this awesome truth. But here's, here's the thing. It's actually an, an ancient truth. And we see it in Proverbs 29, 18. It says, where there's no vision, the people cast off restraint but he that keeps the law happy is he there's a jewish word called kazon and kazon is actually a word that talks about it's a it's a vision a revelation and in that scripture when it was translated they put vision but it's actually the original is kazon where there is no kazon and kazon is a very personal thing because it's not collective not necessarily, collective. And it says, where there is no kazone, the people cast off restraint. But he that keeps the law, and here's a good emotion that comes with that, right? Happy is he. You see, because kazone is actually not something built under, under the sun on earth. It's actually translated to heaven, from heaven to our human hearts. And what is that for every one of you who sits in this house? There is a kazone that God has placed, and it has to do with your past, because God is so, so good that he can take the brokenness of your past, the trauma of your past, the broken relationships in your life, the failures you have as a mother, the failures you have as a father, the failures you have as a, as a son or daughter, the failures you have as a friend, the failures, the failures, the failures, God can take those things, and it shapes you if you're Building a life with him, it shapes you actually into the person that God has created you to be, to give you purpose, to give you future. And if you will lean into that, and you will, you will understand that God has more for you than you chasing a feeling, but building a life, if you can grab onto that, your whole life would be transformed. There's a renewing that takes place in your mind when you understand that God has given you Purpose. In fact, I was reading, there's a book by Craig Rochelle. I don't know if you've heard of him. He's a great pastor, but he has a book called Kazone, And said, so how does Cazone look in the lives of followers? Well, it shows up in ecstatic states. When all you know what breaks loose in your life, there's Cazone keeping you steady. At night, when you don't know what to do, when you can't see and you can't see one step in front of the other, Cazone. it steadies you. It helps you to know. When somebody comes to you and says, the Lord said this to me or told me this to tell you, Cazone lets you know. It'll, it'll help you know, like, that's right or that's wrong. It can give you purpose. Here's the thing. A study was done in science where there were students, a, a, a collected group of students, different ethnicities, And what they did was they took these students, they put them on a train in the middle of a city that they did not know, and a people group that did not look like them, ethnicities that were not like them, and they put them on a train and they said, look, they just showed them a movie, half the group, they said, write down in this journal about what you saw in this movie. People get on the train, go into where they do not know, and they start to journal. Then there's the other group, and it's the group... Their assignment is purpose, write down purpose, write down what you feel is the purpose for your life. And so what did they find in the study? Was the people who journaled the movie had a high amount of anxiety because first of all, they didn't know where the the train was going. They didn't feel like they fit in with the people on the train. But the group who was writing and journaling their purpose found the the experience enjoyable. They were like, wow, I didn't didn't even really have time to even think a whole lot about the fact that I didn't look the same, that I didn't know where I was going. There's something about writing down purpose that transformed the journey for them. And church, let me tell you, if you will grab onto purpose, there will be something that transforms you. You will get a glimpse of what God created you to do and who he's created you to be and the life that he's created for you to build. And when you can tap into that, it will not matter what side of the end you are experiencing right now in your life. Do you believe that? Would you guys stand? I'm going to pray, and if you want to come up, we'll pray for you at the end. Um, Feel free to do that, but I'm going to pray, and if you'll just close your eyes, and if this is you, I often will just raise my hands up, kind of flip them up, like I just want to receive this thing from the Lord, this, this, this word from the Lord. If that's where you're at, you can come up. You can just stand in your seats, but Lord, I thank you so much that Lord, you have, you have brought us here into this house to be a body of Christ. I thank you that God, we're together, Lord, because maybe we even thought we're just here for we just decided to come. But Lord, I believe with all my heart, Lord, that you, this word is for everyone who stand in this room because I know for a fact that you have a purpose and a plan, Lord, that that, Lord, we know there's an enemy who's seeking to kill, to steal, and destroy. We know that he is roaming around our life looking for opportunity. And that can make us incredibly insecure and frightened if we really let it. But Lord, here's the thing. You have a purpose and a plan, God, that is so much bigger. Lord, you have a purpose and a plan for us. And Lord, we know that with you at our side, with you as the captain of the ship, Lord, that there is nothing that we have to be afraid of. So, Lord, we thank you for what you've done. Lord, we can even thank you for the failures that we've had. We, we wouldn't do them again, but, Lord, we can thank you that you use them for your glory, your glory and our good. So, God, have your way in this house. Transform our lives, Lord, for your glory. I especially want to pray, Lord, God, for broken relationships in this house. God, I just just felt to linger there. Lord, particularly marriages in this house, Lord. God, I pray if there are people sitting in this house today who have not felt a sense of purpose in their marriage, God, I ask for you, Lord, to do the miracle that you do of redemption. Lord that you would stir a passion to know you and a passion to heal what's been broken. Jesus, I ask for people who who Lord have a sense of shame. Lord in this house who've carried shame and guilt. God, would you show them what it looks like to let go and trust you? There's lots of places to go, but God, your spirit is where we're changed. So Lord, I pray that every heart is saying a prayer right now, an intimate prayer. Lord, a prayer, God of invitation into their life to do what they think is unthinkable, impossible in their life. Lord, that you're building them and they're partnering with you to build a life. Lord, that is sure and secure And it might not always feel safe, but it is good. And we trust you in your precious holy name. Amen.